want to welcome online, Jasper County Jail Campus, Hebron, what's good, and DeMont Wheatfield, what's good. Thank you for coming to the second week of our Parenting in the 21st Century series. And I really appreciated the kind words you guys sent last week. If you missed it, you can check it out online. It's very much uh, to be continued this week. But uh, today, I've got a really important message for everyone Even if you don't have kids, we're all getting older, and I think this message is so, so important. Even if you don't believe in God, if you're not a Christian, this message is still important. Today, I want to talk about a critical thing called transitions, transitions. And last week, we laid out God's business plan for family. Genesis 2.24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Praise God for that last line. But what God is saying here, there's four separate steps that are encapsulated in this one verse. God's plan for family is to teach and train God's kids to leave. Praise God. That's great. My wife and I went on an overnight date Friday night, Saturday morning at a bed and breakfast type place. And, uh, you know, we were so nervous. What are we going to do without our kids? But we had such a great time there. I was like, you know, we'll be, we'll be just fine. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. To leave, to join someone, this is somewhat optional. You don't have to get married, but you can, um, while loving God and loving people. Now, the problem with last week's message is it only covers the 20-year period, in some cases, 30-year period, if your kids fail to launch, when you're raising your kids. And the problem is we have a lot more time than that with our kids on earth, many of us. And so today I want to talk about how to ace the transitions in life between critical life phases. And a transition is like what happens when you go from living with your parents as a kid to moving out and being an adult. That's a big transition, right? Another transition is aging and you becoming subordinate to your kids late in life, right? And they become the boss of you. Those are key life transitions. And nailing these transitions is key to having healthy relationships with family and leaving a great legacy. And I believe the reason so many families struggle with loving one another as they get older is because they fail to nail these transitions. And Jesus actually tells us that honoring our father and mother late in life is kind of a big deal. Now, this passage is very harsh, and there's some caveats and nuance to it that I'm leaving out of this. But Matthew 15, verse 3 says, Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of a father and mother... (laughs) must be put to death, which is a little harsh. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. And this is something in their culture. They, people would look at elderly parents and say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna help you. And um, you know, here's the deal. For a lot of us, it is, it's hard to honor our father and mother because they're not very honorable people. And, and there are exceptions and boundaries that we can put on them because um, I've taken part of that passage out of context. But God tells us that having a good relationship with extended family as they age is an important thing to do. And this message is not for your parents. It's not for your kids. This message is for you. And I know some of you right now are like, ooh, he's gonna talk about this. I wish that my kids were here because they're so mean to me and they need to honor me. Some of you guys are like, man, I hope that my parents are here because they really need to hear about this. This is important. I don't want you to think about them. This is about you learning to nail the key transitions in life for your family as they age. And uh, if you have drama with extended family, siblings, aging parents, or you yourself are aging, you're gonna wanna tune into this message. Because through the wisdom of God, I'm gonna give you clear steps that you can take to bring peace to your closest relationships. In today's message, just to give you a little bit of insight of what it's gonna look like, it's gonna start with a story, then we're gonna look at God's story, and then we're gonna make some points. It's that simple. Let's start with a story. I still remember my first day of work at the church I worked at in Minnesota. 
I walked up these stairs into a sort of communal office area, and right next to me was where my boss sat. And his name was Bill. He was the associate pastor at that church. He's about 20 years older than me, and uh, he, was, he was really cool, or at least he was concerned about appearing cool to people. You know, he's the kind of guy who would tell you about his great achievements in high school popularity. He liked that a lot. But he was fun to be around, and we laughed a lot. I'm thankful for his mentoring and leadership. He was in my wedding. He stood with me in my wedding. But uh, things were really good in our relationship for a while. I enjoyed being a youth director at that church. But eventually, I got promoted to a different position where I was sort of a peer level with Bill. And that was a rough transition for us because I no longer reported to him, and it kind of hurt his feelings. And the problem was, he did not want to let go of that boss relationship. He still told me what to do. And my new boss, who was a senior pastor, kept saying, you don't need to listen to Bill anymore. He's not your boss. And it just kind of made things awkward for us. And that went on for a while until I got promoted again to executive pastor. And at that point, all of the staff in the church besides a senior pastor reported to me, including Bill. And uh, I liked that position, but for Bill and me, it was super tough. It was really a difficult transition. And I feel for the guy, looking back, there were lots of mistakes that I made as a leader. I could have handled that a lot better. But he started making all kinds of, you know, passive aggressive comments and disrespectful little jabs in different moments. And uh, one day, I remember we were in the church kitchen. And he started telling this joke in front of a mutual friend who was volunteering that day. And the joke was, first off, mildly inappropriate. A pastor shouldn't have been telling that joke. But secondly, it ended with a punchline where he slapped me across the face, which was not good. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, a pastor boxing match would be really fun if that's what we both plan on doing. But like, in this context, it was like, hey, that's not good. You shouldn't be slapping coworkers or bosses across the face. And you know, I knew that wasn't who Bill wanted to be. And I know that as a leader, I made lots of mistakes that contributed to his frustration. But our relationship really wasn't working. And a few weeks later, his discontentment with our workplace continued to grow into disgruntled behavior in a number of different areas and relationships, and it was just really toxic. And ultimately, I ended up having to ask Bill to resign, and we helped him find a position that was a much better fit for him at a different church where he didn't report to somebody who was much younger than he was. Now, the big question is, what happened with Bill and me? The answer is, we did not handle key transitions very well. Because here's the truth, it's hard to go from boss to peer to subordinate. That's a tough set of transitions. You know, in, in a work context, that's really hard. Most of us never have to do that in a work context. We don't have, usually in, in a work context, you know, we have an upward trajectory. Um, we, don't, we don't usually go downwards. Um, this sort of transition is rare in work, but it's commonplace. Almost everybody has this experience at home. Because as a parent, you start off as the boss of your kids, then you become a peer beside your kids after they move out. And eventually, at the end of life, you become a subordinate to them. And I believe that the vast majority of family drama later in life happens from mismanaging this set of transitions. We spend so much time talking about how to raise kids, but that's just one-third of the relationships that we have with our parents. We're the boss during the time frame that we're raising our kids, but then we become peers, and later in life, we become subordinates. There's lots of grown families that struggle today, and I think the vast majority of those struggles come from mismanaging these transitions. And what's crazy is you can be a model parent. You can do everything right. You can be a great parent doing great things and, you know, graduate and everything's good and then destroy your relationship with your kids by mishandling these transitions. The Bible is replete with examples of people struggling with this. Uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's a great read, is the book of Genesis. It's the very first book in the Old Testament. And uh, within the book of Genesis, there's a story of this couple. Their names are Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. And they have a set of twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. 
And I'm gonna dramatically oversimplify their incredible story. It's a riveting story. You can read about it in Genesis. Uh, and it's, it's a great story. You should read about it this week. But, but these brothers, Jacob and Esau, end up having a terrible relationship. They don't even talk with each other when they grow up because their parents failed at managing these transitions. And I wanna look at it briefly today. Genesis 25, 27 begins to allude to their struggles. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. Today's the start of gun season, you know, deer season. Esau would not be in church today. He probably would because he probably would have already nailed his uh, trophy buck yesterday, right? I mean, he's, he's a guy, he's got deer stands everywhere. You know, he's right. I don't understand deer hunting. You know, I mean, you, you sit in that stand for like six hours shivering and not moving. And it's like, what, what are we doing? You know, and then you get to deer and you're like, this meat is disgusting, but if you inject it with all kinds of other meat, then maybe it'll taste okay. You know what I mean? It's like, why? Anyway, some people love it. He was a skillful hunter. He likes Carhartt. He's got a big old beard. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament performing Fortnite in Star Wars pajamas in his mom's basement, right? That's, that's where he lived. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau because, of course, who wouldn't? You know, you got a son who's a jock, you know. He's a gunslinger. He's great, you know. He enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home, praise God. But Rebecca loved her mama's boy, Jacob. And already you can see there's problems at home. Parents loving different kids and creating enmity between one another. Now, the boys grow up. And they become peers of their parents. Now, in biblical days, they still lived in the same compound, but in separate apartments within that compound. So their lives are still very well intertwined. Genesis 26, verse 34, it says, at the age of 40, Esau married. See, Esau, he marries late in life because he's sowing his wild oats. He's hanging out at Boundary Waters. He's hanging out at Hollies. He's partying. He's one of those guys that goes through three sets of friends. You know, you got your high school friends. They all grow up and get married. So then you go with younger friends. You know, they all grow up and get married. He's on his third set of friends and everybody talks about, you know, Esau's that party guy. He's hanging out, and he's hanging out with, with, with way people way younger than he is because he's just never grown up. And he's got two girlfriends, serious girlfriends. He bounces back and forth. When he gets in a fight with one, he goes to the other. And that's kind of what's, and everybody's like, who's Esau with today, right? Well, eventually he marries two Hittite wives. Are you out of your mind, Esau? I mean, he's a swinger. He's doing crazy stuff. He's got two wives. I could tell you, I mean, this is a reality TV show that's gonna end terribly. You know, fighting, whatever, clumps of hair on the ground. It's gonna be bad, okay? First one's name is Judith, the daughter of Beery. Her dad kind of has a cool name. And then Basemith, the daughter of Elon, not Elon Musk, right? I mean, his, his daughter with Grimes is like, I can't even pronounce her name. It's like symbols, right? But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebecca. See, Esau does not honor God's plan for marriage. And a lot of times, you know, when you move out, you kind of think, hey, my choices are my own. I can do whatever I want. I'm an independent dude. But we got to realize is your choices, even as an independent adult, your choices still affect all the people you love in your life. And he gets in all these relationships. He makes his family's life miserable. And his parents, they're no longer the boss. They're peers. It's tough for them. What can you do? And as Isaac begins to reach the end of his life, the time comes for him to set his affairs in order, to hand out things to his kids. He's becoming the subordinate to them. They're becoming the leaders of, of his company, of his life. And he doesn't do it very well. And him and his wife don't get on the same page and there's a lot of enmity between them. And ultimately it will cause a huge rift between their sons, Jacob and Esau. And their relationship will fall apart and their kids, the cousins, they'll never know each other. They won't meet each other. I mean, their life falls apart you can see it happen here in Genesis 27 and verse six. It says, she, Rebecca, said to her son, Jacob, her favorite son, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare a delicious meal for me. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, in Jewish culture and tradition, one of the big parts of inheritance was you would pick one son, one kid who would receive what's called the blessing. And this blessing is a big deal. What you're saying to that one son is all the favor of God that's on me for our family, I wanna give it to you. 
right? You are now the patriarch in the new generation. The other boys are there, but you're the one who gets the favor, right? It's kind of a big deal. Now, Isaac is so old, he's basically deaf and blind. He can't even tell his sons apart. He can't really see. And so Rebecca, she makes this cabal. She gets real manipulative. And she says, we're going to steal Esau's blessing. She says, now my son, my mama's boy, you listen to me, you beautiful, handsome, perfect, sweet, sweet, love, 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 love. Do exactly what I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. How much is Isaac eating? I mean, he is an old man and he is going to eat two goats? That's, I don't even care if they're young. That's a lot of meat, right? I mean, he's just, wow. Anyway, I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. I don't know what it is, but it must be a major reduction. Anyway, then they take, take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. And so they squabble over inheritance. This is a story as old as time. How many families do we know? squabbling over land, squabbling over inheritance, fighting over these things. Esau gets his inheritance stolen and he gets murderously angry and the family falls apart. What a terrible legacy for Isaac. What a sad, sad legacy because when it comes to parenting, we focus so much on the first 18 years but most families really begin to drop the ball after that. And I believe these transitions, they are the most complicated parts of parenting. And I want to talk for a moment about the three stages, the three stages of parenting. And I'm going to describe these three stages briefly. And then I'm going to come back around to each stage and give you, give you a primary pitfall and a primary pro tip for each of those three stages. But let's first start with a summary. The first stage of parenting is what I call the boss stage. The boss stage lasts until the kids move out after high school or in some cases, long after high school, but hopefully, you know, shortly after high school, they move out, you know, and uh, you're no longer the boss of them anymore. But during this stage, you know, you're in control, you're in charge, you're paying for things, then they move out and they get off your insurance and they get off your cell phone plan. Sometimes they wait till they're 26. But anyway, after the boss stage comes the peer stage. And in the peer stage, you are a former boss, a former boss. They're striking out on their own to start their own family. Really, it's like starting their own company. Right, Because everybody has a small business that they run called their family, right? your own affairs. You have a personal business that you're running, you know, it's finances, everything. And uh, you're no longer controlling your kids' choices. They are peers. They're running their own business. They're the CEO of their own life. They no longer report to you in the same way that they did. And sometimes they're awesome at it. Their company, their family will thrive. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes kids' company will go out of business and they need to remerge for a little while while they're building a house, after a divorce, while they're dealing with a crisis. Sometimes they come to you and they say, we need a cash injection. It's a complicated relationship. Just like it was for me and Bill at my old church. Because old habits die hard. And it's hard to be a former boss who is now a peer. That is a mindset you have to embrace intentionally as parents. The most complicated moments for parents of young couples is the wedding, right? The wedding is one of those really kind of awkward moments, especially if the wedding is right after high school or college, because they're still kind of part of your family, but you're planning for a ceremony that signifies the moment they form their own new family, right? So who's in charge of the wedding? Who's the boss? Are they peers? Are the mom and dad the boss? Because you know, really, they don't become their own family until that moment. You know, my favorite part of the wedding, the, the father uh, and, and the bride, they're walking down the aisle, and I say, who gives this woman to marry this man today? And the father of the bride says, her mother and I do, with tears in his eyes. And the groom walks down and receives the bride, shakes hand with the dad, and that's the moment. That is the moment where he is no longer the boss. They're no longer the boss. Her mother and I do. It's done. You're not the boss anymore. So we're planning an event that is celebrating that moment. Who's in charge of that? It's that awkward moment where the new family is formed. 
You're no longer a boss. You're now a peer. It's the peer stage. After the peer stage comes the parents are subordinate stage. This is where the kids um, become the boss of the parents. And so many families run into trouble here, which blows my mind, because for humanity, the death rate has always hovered right around 100%. Never changes, you know? And if your parents are getting older, you're going to reach a moment where you need to prepare for the end of their life, or else the end of life is going to be very stressful and full of tough decisions. And here's what blows my mind. I know so many times, so many families, they reach this point where the siblings are like, what do we do? Do we put them on a ventilator? Do we do, who do we call? How do we handle this? And it's like, look, they're 85 years old. You didn't see this coming. You didn't talk about this. Like, it's a pretty big thing to plan for. And instead of having a wonderful family reunion and memory sharing, as you sit with a patriarch or matriarch as they pass, you're sitting there arguing about these decisions that could have been made long in advance because family didn't prepare for this final transition. In this stage, what you're doing is you're preparing to liquidate the assets and the life work of the parents and redistribute that wealth to charities or to the next generation. And if you handle these three transitions well, I really think you're likely to have a great extended family life. Your Thanksgivings, your Christmases, your phone calls, your FaceTimes, it's all gonna be great. But if you do not handle these things well, your children, just like Jacob and Esau, will have stress and conflict. The next generation will pay the price of your lack of preparedness. So I wanna spend the second half of this message talking about the pro tips and the pitfalls of each stage. Let's start with the parents are the boss stage. And the biggest pitfall of the parents are the boss stage are allowing kids to become the boss too soon. Have you ever seen this? You've seen this, you see the mom of like a, a four-year-old, look at the four-year-old and say, honey, do you, do you wanna go to preschool today? And it's like, what are you doing? You're the boss. You're asking a child, like they're four, go to preschool. See ya, I'm out, right? You're the boss. Or you look at a four-year-old, honey, do you, do you wanna eat your vegetables? It's like, no, no, no. You eat your vegetables or you die. Like those are your choices. You're the boss, right? You're the boss. And I totally get the temptation because the burden of leadership is heavy. And a lot of us, you know, we're not leaders in a lot of places in our life. And we're just, our natural disposition is to foist off the difficult decisions to anybody we can find, right? We don't wanna make those choices, but for kids, you are the boss. And let me tell you what this feels like. Have you ever worked on a group project without clear leadership? It's the worst. It's frustrating, there's this vacuum. It's like, well, I, I don't know, what do you wanna do? You know, what do you, what do you, what do you wanna do? Or it becomes like The View, you know, that show where everybody's arguing all the time. It's like, this is the worst, right? You need to take charge because you're the boss. We talked about this last week but you're teaching and training God's kids to leave. Or in our vocabulary this week, you're teaching and training God's kids to become the boss of themselves, right? You're preparing them effectively. And here's the pro tip, here's the pro tip. If you wanna manage this transition well, plan the transition with benchmarks. And here's what I mean by this. Map out years in advance when the ideal times are for your kids to begin taking responsibility or to have been able to take responsibility for different areas. And I did a poor job of communicating this last week. I mentioned that my daughter, who is 11, can plan a meal, you know, look at recipes, buy things, and do what it takes to, to cook a meal, right? She can do that at 11. That didn't just happen. I didn't say, hey, you know what, Izzy, cook the meal. You know, good luck. Don't kill yourself or blow the house up. You know, that's not what I did. We started cooking with her when she was two. She's been doing, and we've been working Working up to this, to this place, you know? We went, like I said, on an overnight date on Friday night, and my kids did all the laundry. You know, they, they did everybody's laundry, folded it, put away, you know, didn't have to tell them. But that's something we've been working up to in their life, preparing for for years, right? Um, we're, we're working on 
teaching them to manage major life decisions and finances. Those are things we're working up to. And for years, we sort of had these milestones, benchmarks that we wanted to reach when they hit certain ages. The transitions in life don't happen at the moment of a wedding day or at the moment of a graduation. It's not like all of a sudden you gain the skills necessary to manage your life. Those just signify typically when most people are ready to do that if it's done well. Think about this. When you're leaving a job, right, getting ready to leave, it's not like you're like, all right, figure it out, guys, see you later, right? You're handing off responsibilities over the course of time so that the next person who's gonna take that position is trained and ready. That's what you're doing with your kids. In the peer stage, the number one pitfall is um, parents not letting go. And that's what Bill struggled with in my last job. He did not want to let go. And he tried to keep controlling and instructing. And what did he do? He hurt our relationship. He hurt our church. And most of all, Bill hurt himself. And for my part, I oscillated between doing what he wanted and then lashing out at him, which made it worse. And this is what I see a lot of people doing with their parents, right? Your parents are still controlling and you're like, okay, I'm gonna do what they want. Stop doing that! And it's like, whoa, hey, maybe you should just, you know, find a better way to confront rather than like screaming at them, right? And uh, I see grown moms and dads wrecking their families all the time. And I wanna be clear, that's what you're doing. When you bring a boss mindset to a peer relationship, you are wrecking your family, you're destroying your legacy, and you're burning your relationships. You don't want to do that. So here's a pro tip. Here's a pro tip. I'm a high controller, and I have a tough time keeping my mouth shut like it's difficult, and this is what I've learned. This is a big deal. This might be helpful for you. You can give advice. You just can no longer give commands. Parents, you don't have to bow out completely, but here's the deal. If Bill would have offered me advice saying, hey, John, it's up to you, but I have some insights that might help you in this context. Do you mind if I share? Can I have permission to share with you, right? At that point, he's respecting the fact that we have a peer relationship. He's no longer the boss, boss of me. And because I respected Bill and we had a good relationship, I'd probably say yes. But I have permission to say whatever I want. I can give him permission to give me advice or not because we're peers. Sometimes you'll ask kids for permission to give them advice and they'll say no, in which case you have to go through the painful, irritating process of shutting your mouth and watching them make a terrible decision. That's difficult, but it's their company. And if you want to be in their company, which most parents want to be in their kid's company, you've got to respect their leadership. And here's the thing, here's the thing. I always ask this. Do you like it when your kids were teenagers and they would roll their eyes at you? Or they'd cluck? Or they'd sigh when you were doing things? Like, ah, mom, you know, you didn't like that. Do you like it when you were busy and your kids would show up and they'd bug you? Mom, 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 excuse me, mom. You didn't like that at all, right? What makes you think when they're adults, they like it when you do the exact same things? You know, you show up and they're parenting your grandkids and you roll your eyes and you cluck, you know, I don't know, and you sigh, and you show up without an appointment, just, hello, daughter-in-law, I'm here. They don't like that. You wouldn't go to the dentist's office without calling first. You're not gonna show up to your kid's house without having an appointment, especially if it's your daughter-in-law right? They are their own company. And sometimes some families, you know, they have permission to blast in the house. But my guess is with a lot of families, you, you know, you're showing up, you're bringing food, you're doing whatever. And they're like, hey, maybe, maybe you could call first, right? Old bosses often can become great friends and mentors though, when you respect the transition to the peer stage, right? You're each running your own company. My mom and dad are both really, really good at this, right? My mom is a great cook. My wife is a great cook. You know what my mom does? She respects the fact that my stomach and my mouth now belong to my wife, right? She doesn't just come over with a tray of food and say, hey, I made this for you. I made you guys dinner. My wife is a little territorial over all this. And she says, look, I get to feed him. And if you want to, you can have permission to do it, but you better ask me first. And sometimes I'll say no, right? That's just the way that it works. Just the other day, my dad um, saw some improvement opportunities. He went to a life group and uh, he heard some improvement opportunities for kids programming at church. 
And he came home and he knew it'd be inappropriate for a grown man to go to his grown son and tell him how to do his job, right? So my dad said, hey, John, I have some improvement opportunities that I heard about a life group for you and I don't need to say them if you're not ready to hear them or you don't wanna hear them, but can I have permission? Are you in a place where you wanna hear these things? And I was like, absolutely, right? Because he respected the peer stage of our relationship. I said, yes, it was super helpful. Parents of grown kids, how are you doing at leaving your old position of boss and treating your younger peers with respect? Kids, how are you doing at respecting and dignifying what your parents have given to you while still taking full responsibility for the fact that your life is yours to lead? Here's a big question that I think can bring some insight into this, and I want to encourage you guys to do this. This is one of the big takeaways for the message. Go to your adult kids and say, do you feel respected by me? Do you feel respected by me? This question is so helpful. And sometimes, look, I'm not gonna lie to you. You're just gonna stand out there and stick your chin out and just get ready to take it. You know what I mean? Your kids are gonna be like, well, I'm so glad you asked, let me tell you. And you're gonna feel attacked and you're gonna feel defensive. But what you need to do is take those repeated punches in the face because what they're really giving you are steps to improve your relationship. And what you really want in the long run is a great relationship with your adult children. So you receive that. Kids, ask your parents, do you feel respected by me? If the answer is no, then you want to address that. You know why? Because someday they're going to write a will and you might or might not be in it. I'm kidding, because you love them and God calls us to honor them. The final stage, the final stage is called the parent's subordinate stage. And listen, um, Jacob had a horrible relationship with his brother Esau because his parents failed at this transition. And I want you to get this. Jacob's parents failed. His grandparents failed. Abraham and Sarah were his grandparents, this couple. And they totally failed at this stage. And their children, their sons, did not talk with each other. The cousins didn't know one another. It was really bad, right? And then Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob's parents, they failed. The brothers didn't have a relationship with each other. So Jacob said, I am going to nail this transition. Jacob had 12 sons. He wasn't Catholic. He was Jewish. He had a 15-passenger van, though. I mean, for sure. Just kidding. They didn't have those yet. 15-passenger camel, okay? But, um... Here's the deal. He prepared in advance. In Genesis 49, there's this big, long passage where he sits down with his sons and he says, this is who gets what. This is who's in charge of what. He talked to his family. He made sure everybody was on the same page. Everybody was cool with it. And get this, get this. He was the first one in three generations to nail this transition. And because he did, his 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And their descendants for over five centuries would continue to be in relationship with one another because he nailed this transition. And that's pretty good. I mean, you think about this in our lives. So many people, it's like, man, I want my kids to love one another. If you want your kids to continue to love one another after you're gone, you would better nail this transition. Check this out, Genesis 49, verse 33. It says, when Jacob had finished up his charge to his sons, okay, all of his children are there. All of his children are gathered in one room at the end of his life. They're not arguing. Everybody gets along. He set his affairs in order. He already told them, like, this is the medical intervention I do want. This is what I don't want. You know, he already talked to them about it. They're not arguing or worried about that. They already know all the plans. They already know who gets what. He drew his feet into his bed. He breathed his last. He joined his ancestors in death. And Joseph, who was not his oldest son, threw himself on his father. Joseph was the leader of the family. Joseph is the one that got the blessing that Jacob had stolen from his brother Esau. But Joseph, he already told everybody, listen, older sons, Reuben, you're not getting it. Joseph's gonna get it. He gave it to Joseph. All the brothers were okay with it, wept and kissed him after he died. That's a beautiful ending. That's the ending that I want for my life. 
I want all my children there giving one another mutual respect, loving one another, and continuing to love each other for centuries after I'm gone. That's what I want. That's the legacy I want to leave. And the reason Jacob did that, or was able to do that, was because he nailed the transition, the last transition. Now, the big pitfall that people make here is ignoring the inevitable. We all know that we're going to die. And while we don't know what the end is going to look like, there's really not that many options. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think there's three possible endings to our life. We're either going to die young or we'll die old in one of two ways, healthy or unhealthy. That's it. There's not that much to discuss here. I mean, you kind of can plan for all of it. So pro tip, the more families talk about it with patriarchs and matriarchs, the better. If this happens, then we're going to do that. If that happens then we're gonna do this. Get the siblings on the same page. Get the parents on the same page. When their minds are clear, when everybody's there. Um, you know, my grandfather, Jay Stanley Hill, was a great guy, my dad's dad. Uh, great man and uh, intelligent man. And starting at the age of 60 or so, he told his five adult children, I'm relying on your judgment to tell me when I need to give up my keys. Right? And every year he would kind of preach that to them over and over again. And what he was doing, he was casting vision to them, but to himself. I don't want to turn this into a big fight. I'm relying on you to tell me when I need help, when I need to move in, when we need to get at-home help, when we need home medical care. I'm trusting you for all of it. And for years, my grandpa talked about this. You guys are in charge, and rather than hurting everybody I love and possibly somebody on the road, I'm just deferring to you. And he actually, the kid said he could drive until he was 90 years old, and I actually drove with him up until that point, and he was good. He was a good driver. He was so old, true story, he never actually had to get a driver's license test. He was grandfathered in to the driver's license. That's how old he was, right? But they took his driver's license at 90, and so then he started riding his bike to the YMCA to work out. That's how old this dude was. He was a, he was a great guy. But it was another gift that he gave to his family. My family has spent a good amount of time talking about this. If my parents get sick, Kristen and I will care for them. Barring a serious memory care issue, in which case they're going to go to Oak Grove. See you guys later, right? <laughs> Praise God, we have an awesome, awesome memory care unit at Oak Grove. That is, that is a gift to this community, truly. I know many of you guys gave to that. But my mom and dad have updated their last will and testament several times in my lifetime. You know what they do? Each time they do it is they pull um, me and my brother into the same room and they get us on the same page. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's you know, who's in charge of what. Here's who gets what. How do you guys feel about that? Oh, you don't feel good? Well, too bad, okay? I mean, just kidding. Now, how do you feel about that? They get us on the same page. You know, This is what's going to charity. You're not getting this because we want you to experience getting it yourself in life. We don't wanna rob you of that joy. I'm like, are you sure you don't wanna rob us of that joy? Because I'd love to get it. But he says, no, 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 that's the way it's gonna be. Dad even took care of what undertaker is coming to get their bodies. In their case, it's the University of Indiana Medical School because it's free and they're donating their bodies to science. That's what they're doing. What my mom and dad are doing is they're loving us by making this last transition as smooth as possible and they're blessing their descendants, their son's relationship with each other, most of all. You know, when we moved here, we had a tension-filled moment, but ultimately, my dad pulled me aside and he said, John, you are becoming the patriarch of this family. And this was eight years ago. Right, He was still in his early 60s, but he said, John, you're the visionary and the leader of this family, and we live with you, but we trust you to decide where and how that's gonna be. We trust you. You are the leader of the family. I think that my relationship with my adult parents has been great because they have nailed the major transitions of life. Because of nailing these transitions, Jesus' teaching about honoring your father and mother is pretty easy for me. Right, they have paved the way. They made it super, super easy. They weren't just great parents. They have been great leaders in nailing these transitions. But this message isn't about them. This message is about each of us nailing the next transition in our life. I'm 37 years old. And this side of eight years from now, my daughter Isabel is going to be my peer. Am I ready? Am I getting her ready? 
Are we on track? Are we in the right place? It's gonna be tough for me. I like to be in charge of things. Am I gonna be able to let go? I will, I'm planning for it, I'm preparing for it now. I'm paving the way. Today, as we close, I I really wanna challenge us to start thinking about the final transition in life. And what are you doing to prepare for the end of your life? Death for Christians, according to Paul, has lost its sting. We are not stung by death. Death, the Bible says, has lost its victory for Christians. That should be our mentality. We don't have to be afraid of it. We can look to it with joy and readiness. Paul says to live as Christ and to die is gain. Are you prepared for it? Are you ready for it? The Bible has many stories like this, but I love Genesis 49, 33. When Jacob had finished this charge to his sons, he drew his feet into his bed, he breathed his last, and he joined his ancestors in death. I want that to be the end of my story. I want to look at the next generation in my family having established a great foundation for loving one another, and I want to die in peace knowing that they will continue to love one another and knowing that I will enter the presence of God. I want that to be the end of my story. I want to ask you some specific questions as we walk in to the end of this message. First question, what transition is next for you and are you ready? Teens, are you ready? You know, I remember being in like 11th grade starting to think, oh my goodness, like I'm about to have to do this myself. Am I ready? Do I know how to get insurance, right? I started mining my parents for information. Like how do you get health insurance? How do you get credit? How do you establish a 401k? Like what does retirement look like? When do you need life insurance? I mean, I'm getting ready to move out and we just started making a list of information that I needed in order to be independent. How do you cook without burning the house down? Something that I still struggle with, but my wife is very good at, praise God. What transition's next for you? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to see your kids become your peers? What transition is next for you and are you ready? Conversations between grownups in two generations, adults and adult kids, do you respect your kids slash parents? Do you respect them? I want you to look into your heart and really think, do I respect this person? Ask your kids, do you feel respected by me? I did this at the end of first service. I asked my dad, praise God. The answer was yes. My mom was like, eh, no, just kidding. She said yes too. And then this is a big one. What can I do to show you that I respect you? And I just imagine some patriarchs who haven't been so verbally affirmational going to their adult sons and looking them in the eye and say, I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you for the life that you're leading. And I want you to know that I really respect you. Wow. What an incredible gift that you can give to them. I'm looking at some older fathers, maybe looking at the next generation and giving them a blessing. Saying, may the blessings that God has poured upon my life, may they be transferred to your houses and to your lives. And then all of us, big important question. Are we ready for the final transition in life? Here's the thing, I think a lot of us don't like talking about that final transition because we don't like thinking about death or talking to our kids about it or talking to our parents about it because we're not ready to die because we don't have a real relationship with Jesus. You see, I really believe that in Christ, we can look at death without fear. Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. I want that to be our mantra. I want that to be our inheritance. And if your relationship with Jesus is not at a place where you have that peace, now is the time. Now is the time to change that. Jesus tells us that when we ask him to forgive our sins and lead our life, we don't need to fear death any longer. Jesus came from heaven to earth so that he could die on the cross for our sins. When we ask him to forgive our sins and lead our life, we can go to eternal paradise with God in heaven. 
And listen, the compendium of data that we have from people who have had near-death experiences tells us that the biblical narrative is true. It's true. It's real. We know that something doesn't come from nothing. We know that intelligent design doesn't come from no intelligence. We will stand before God at the end of this life. I want us to be ready. And look, if you are not ready, if you don't have peace yet with God, I want to challenge you to get ready on your blue card, on all of your seats, on the backside, there's this thing, I need help figuring out my next steps. I want to get in contact with you. We want to pray with you this week and help you get ready for death. I want you to be ready to meet God. And if you have doubts, concerns, or questions about that, we want to pray with you and help you get to a place where you are ready to meet God. Be ready for the final transitions in life. As we close, I want to ask you to stand to your feet at all of our locations, even online, at the jail, and here at DeMott Wheatfield. Guys, I really believe that we can have a great relationship with extended family. And I'm praying and hoping today that the future generations will be blessed because of the way we've prepared for them. Let's pray. God in heaven, I just, I lift up families today. I ask that you give people a vision and courage to make their relationship with you right and to pave the way for future generations to love one another. Lord, help us to nail the transitions in life. I thank you for your wisdom and your word. And I ask that relationships between mothers and daughters and fathers and sons would be repaired today. And I ask that there'd be reconciliation and grace and love for one another because of this message. In your name we pray, all God's people said amen and amen. Let's sing this last song together.